Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Carl Truman. I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Amy Bird and Todd Pruitt. Today we have on the show a man that I typically contact maybe once or twice a year in June or more especially July because we share a mutual love of the Tour de France. His name is Dr. James White. He's well known for being uh, a fearsome and fearless Christian apologist with Alpha and Omega Ministries. He's a Reformed Baptist pastor. Welcome to the show, James. It's great to be with you. I'm like I said, I'm I'm having withdrawals. There's no more grand tours right now, so <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what to do with my life. <laughs> well, this this will be the highlight of your year. I'm, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, of it. I, think Frumi, I think I think Froomey winning the Welta was probably up there a little bit higher. But you don't even know Froomey is. No, these are totally. I deal with. He only knows who Rick Flair is. Philistines here. Ignorant Philistines. If I said Giro d'Italia. They have mm, no art. They sounds like an excellent post office or something. <laughs> you know. So, hey James. Well, I mean, all of course, it's well known that I've been off converting to Roman Catholicism uh, I recently. That. I hear that. I hear yeah. that all the time. Well, mm-hmm. I, uh, you've won up to me. I gather that you've invented an entirely new religion, Chrislam. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yes, maybe yes. you could give us. You know, why should we convert to Chrislam? <laughs> yeah. J- yeah. James White, well known for cozying up to Islam. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Yep. Actually, yep. James, uh, there's, there's, you've, you've got some guys who've just been hammering you. Mm-hmm. And part of my, why I liked having you on and when it was first suggested is for you to be able to answer. I, I don't want to revisit a bunch of annoying stuff. I mean, good grief. You've yes, been, you do. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's lying to you, James. <laughs> but, but I mean, anybody who knows you or has followed your ministry over the years knows that you've been a prolific debater and apologist for the Christian faith, debating well-known Muslims around the world. Mm-hmm. And just explain real briefly why you have kind of a small group of people making these very strange claims about you now about cozying up to Islam. Yeah, well, here's the secret. I don't just like to debate. I don't just like to argue. The reason I debate actually has a purpose to it. And it's, um, it's actually connected with the fact that I not only love the gospel and want to see God's people edified, but I actually want to see the people that I'm debating one to Christ as well. It's this weird, it's very weird idea, I guess. I I thought we were all on the same page on that, but evidently we're not. And Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it comes to Islam, I learned a long time ago that if you want to open the door with Muslims, you need to show some respect to them as individuals. They are very accustomed to Christians approaching them. They'll tell them, you're wrong, you don't know what you're talking about, and then when they ask two or three questions, they discover the Christian has no earthly idea what they actually believe. And so as a result, they don't really feel that Christians have any respect for them. Now, are there Muslims who do the exact same things to Christians? Yes, but that's not the issue. The issue is my approach to them. And so from the beginning, I have attempted to be very accurate in my representation of Islam. I'd never, for example, if you look at the debates I've done on Islam, I never did a debate on a specifically Islamic topic, for example, uh, whether the Quran misrepresents the Trinity or something along Mm -hmm. those lines, for years after I started my studying. 
And so the reason for that was because I wanted to make sure I knew what in the world I was talking about and did not make silly statements and, and false arguments. And so the point is I've tried to show respect to be accurate and uh, over the past, I don't know, six, seven years, I've also discovered that if you can get to know the person you're about to debate, have dinner with them, have lunch with them, tell them who you are, why you do what you do, the fact that you're praying for them, that you want the best for them, it changes the entire nature of the encounter. Yeah. I mean, it really increases the quality of the encounter and, and it lowers the emotional excesses and, and, and everything else. It makes for a much better debate and it opens up many doors that otherwise would be closed to you. And so to make a long story short, what that led to is uh, years ago, I encountered a man by the name of Yasser Qadi. It wasn't Dr. Qadi back then, but Yasser Qadi is the imam of the Memphis Islamic Center. He is the head of the Al-Maghrib Institute, which is a very large Sunni Islamic educational organization here in the United States. And we started corresponding. He had sent me a 16-CD set called Light and Guidance, which is an introduction to Islamic theology. And as he said, I don't know if you got to see the dialogues we did, but he told this story. He said, I sent him the CD set, figuring he'd just stick it up on a shelf and, and never listen to it again. Well, I listened to it twice. Mm-hmm. And, and I started, and of course, on my bike is when I listened to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I listened to everything else. And uh, including a, a certain series of lectures on Luther recently by some guy with a British accent. Yeah. Uh, that was, yeah. <laughs> Since, by the way, I hate, I hate to mention this, but in just a couple of weeks, I will actually be preaching a full public service in the castle church in Wittenberg. So I, oh, I'm, nice. not sure if, nice. I'm not sure if anyone else on this show has ever gotten a chance. To no, no, you're, you're an That's elite a, company there, James. <laughs> <laughs> you must have sold out to the liberal German church. No, but I, I have to admit, I'm very much looking forward to yeah. uh, staying in that pulpit. And, um, and of course, uh, I, I was thinking just this morning about how Charles, stood there looking down on Luther's grave mm. and resisted the temptation to have him dug up mm. and tried. I'm sure Carl <laughs> knows that story quite well, but um, looking forward to that. But anyway, how did they get on that subject? I don't know. I had, <laughs> had to make sure to mention that for Carl. So that, well, I'm uh, glad you did. That kind of makes my day, actually. I'm crying. So anyway, uh, uh, Dr. Cotty, I would start contacting him. I had questions for him. I learned a lot from him. And one of the things I've been attacked for is that I've publicly admitted that I have learned a lot about Islam from an Islamic scholar. Imagine that. Slippery slope. If you could hear just the disdain yeah. and disgust in the voice mm-hmm. of many of these Christians, with yeah. the very idea that a Christian could learn something from a non-Christian, it yeah. is truly astounding to me. It really, really is. He's also an expert in, in Hadith, and oh, so yeah. I was listening to his lectures on Hadith, and there aren't too many Christians that know how to figure out what Sahih and Daif and everything else is <laughs> no. in Hadith, but, but I learned that from, from Yasser Qadi. Well, I tried to get him to do a book with me, and I still would like him to get him to do a book with me, but he almost did but then decided not to. He hadn't finished up his PhD at uh, Yale yet. Make a long story short, last year I was going to be speaking over in that area. I contacted him and I said, look, I had actually defended him because I had seen him unfairly attacked by someone. They took quotes from a lecture that I had listened to twice that he had done on the subject of shirk. Now, shirk's a very important thing. Shirk's one of the primary barriers in presenting the gospel to Muslims. And so, 
you have to understand what various Muslims believe shirk is and whether we as Christians are mushrikun, whether we are committing shirk in our worship of Jesus Christ. And different Muslims in the West will have different views. The majority view from around the world is, yes, we are. And that was Yasser Qadi's view. It's changing a little bit over time. I don't know if I've had anything to do with that, but still, this is one of the big issues. Well, he had been misrepresented. I had pointed out what the real issues were, and the main reason I was doing it wasn't to try to get kudos with Yasser Qadi. The main reason I was doing it was, look, these are the real issues, and mm-hmm. as long as we're throwing this stuff off over here, we're not actually addressing the real issues. Mm-hmm. We're not right. getting to the real, the heart of the issue. And let's, let's be honest, how many inroads do believing, even believing Reformed churches yeah. make in the American Islamic community? I mean, there's just a tremendous amount of standing off and keeping them at arm's length, and we're not sure what to say, and there's a lot of fear and a lot of ignorance and and so on and so forth. And so I contacted him, and we arranged a two-night dialogue. This was during the weeknight. A uh, local church in Memphis stepped up and said, we want to be a part of this. We'll open our facilities. We made it a ticketed event, no cost, but we made it a ticketed event because we were just we didn't know whether we'd have enough room for everybody to want to come, whatever it was. The second night was in the mosque. And we had, instead of a debate, because Dr. Cotty said, look, I'm not going to debate. I don't want to debate. You obviously understand Islam very, very well. You understand Christian theology. I don't study Christianity. I don't really know much about it. You would be at a great advantage if we were to mm-hmm. debate. But there's lots of stuff that we can talk about and let's do that. Let's get our two communities together and let's talk. Because he described to me what it's like to be a Muslim in the South and to have your wife walking down the road and somebody drives by in a pickup truck, go back where you came yeah. from, and, and you know this type of stuff. This is what, one thing I want you to hear. One of the things he said to me, and this is, this is absolutely fascinating, this is before we had the dialogues. He said, James, I can get certain kinds of Christians to talk to me all day long. But I recognize they're not the Christians that have a real strong belief in historic Christian theology. And we recognize that. They're the ones that don't really believe that the Bible is inspired and things like that. And they'll talk to me all day long. He says, but the Christians who say the Bible is the word of God, Jesus is truly God in the flesh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, they will not talk to me for anything. I can't get them to talk to me at all. And so the whole idea was to get together. He is a believing Muslim. Do you know I have been severely criticized? I have been told that I'm abandoning the gospel because yep. I called him a believing Muslim. Yeah. Wow. That came from a Reformed man, a Reformed Baptist pastor, because the only people that you can call believers are Christians. <laughs> okay. People believe in all kinds of things. <laughs> well, uh, my, my point was pretty obvious. He is a consistent, right. believing mm-hmm. Muslim. Right. And, and one of the biggest mistakes I made was, one of the reasons I want to talk with Yastrakhan is I, I listened to him doing lectures to Muslims, not just, you know, to talking just to Muslims. That's the best way to find out what Muslims really think. Yeah. And I heard him get really passionate once in talking to Muslims, and he says, look, why do we have our children memorize a book in a language they do not even speak if we do not teach them to live by the principles contained in the book in a language they can understand. Mm. And I thought to myself at that time, this is a kindred spirit across the great theological divide that separates 
us. And that's the language I use in the dialogue. Oh, my goodness. They all just skip the right. great theological divide part. <laughs> and you say he's right. a kindred spirit and all the rest of this yeah. stuff. I knew that when we got together, this was not going to be the type of individual that's going to be able to compromise, you know, this idea of Chrislam and all the rest of stuff was the <laughs> farthest from either one of our thoughts. Right. But can a believing Muslim and a believing Christian get together and honestly discuss their differences? Respectfully. And, and respectfully. And if we live in the same city yeah. and we're facing many of the same challenges in regards to our religious freedoms, can mm-hmm. we discuss those things? Not according to most conservative right. Christians who have responded to these dialogues. Right. right. You're not allowed to talk about any of that. In fact, I've been told we have nothing in common. We have nothing in common with Muslims yeah. at all. And I'm like, well, um, there's this monotheism. That's a different God. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's the only way to really discuss the difference between the biblical presentation of who God is and the Islamic presentation is if you recognize where the similarities are first, right. Right. so the differences can be brought out in the proper context. Right. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. If you say we have anything in common, you're compromising and you're, yeah. you're moving to Islam and you're a useful idiot and... And I was just absolutely astounded Mm -hmm. by these responses. Well, obviously, what isn't online, both of them are online. Anybody can listen. I thought they were tremendously educational. You know what's fascinating? Overseas, every single person I've talked to overseas that's involved in mission works to work to Muslims thought they were awesome. They were encouraged by them. They just thought, oh, man, if we would have the opportunity to be able to do that in our context, what we would give to be able to do that. It's only American Christians who have lost their minds. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and it's interesting because one of the things I've noticed in the people who've been attacking you has been they, they seem to think that your chief job as a Christian apologist and a minister of the gospel, a man who regularly preaches, that your chief job is to protect America from Muslims. They seem yeah. to think that mm-hmm. that's your chief job rather than, and, and again, we would agree that there are people who have a job to protect Americans from terrorists, but they seem to think that that's your chief job instead <laughs> of someone who has a platform that you might be able to leverage to move towards them with Christ. And it's just been amazing to see the disconnect. It has been absolutely astounding to me. And my ex-friends list has grown exponentially oh, yeah. uh, since May. There's no mm-hmm. two ways about it. I mean, people that I really thought really, really, really were friends. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's oh, been it's, it's been astounding. I thought we were on the same page, right. but, but we weren't. But what you don't see in the very respectful exchange between myself and Yasser Qadi, and by the way, we're going to do it again. He wants to do it. And he has told me, he said, look, all this stuff they've thrown at you about jihad and the Muslim Brotherhood, you have free reign to ask me any question you want about Mm. any of that stuff. I've I've earned the right to ask him those questions. So we're going to do it again. But what you won't see is what happened afterwards. Because you see, after the first night at the church, and that was one of the other things, it was in a church, you let him preach to people, you're going to deceive him. (laughs) It was either a Monday or Tuesday night, I forget when it was, everybody had to have a ticket, they knew exactly what they were doing there, it was not a worship service to the church in any way, shape, or form, there was no prayers, there was no nothing. In the same way, I didn't lead the prayers at the mosque or anything else, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me, but what you don't see is, after most debates, the Muslims are over in one side of the room, and the Christians are over on the other side of the room, they're all sitting around talking about what happened. After both of these dialogues, the Christians and the Muslims were talking to Mm -hmm. each other. That's great. 
Huh. And they were talking to each other respectfully and not about the weather. Yeah. They were talking <laughs> about the things we had just demonstrated you can talk about without beating each other up. Right, and right. I had three Muslim men as they were leaving. They came up to greet me the first night. And I asked them, I said, did, did you feel welcome this evening? And the older of them, his eyes teared up and he said, I didn't think this was possible. Mm. I did not think this was possible. And the second night at the mosque, I had this beautiful young lady in a full hijab come up to me afterwards. I'm sitting here eating the most scrumptious chocolate chip cookie, which I probably should not have eaten because I'm a cyclist, but I was doing it anyways. And, um, and she says, can I, can I uh, uh, first of all, thank you very, very much for coming, but can I, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And, and this is a little unusual. I mean, normally, you know, the male-female right. dynamic, you know, uh, but she's mm-hmm. obviously second generation, third generation. Some of that starts breaking down. And she says, now here's the question. Here's, here's the question. How do you deal with the influence of pagan religion in the development of the doctrine of the Trinity at the Council of Nicaea. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, what a wide open door. And so for, I don't know how long I'm Whoa. talking to her about Constantine's actual role at Nicaea, and I'm going all the way back to Ignatius and his testimony of the deity of Christ when he writes to the church at Rome, the church in Ephesus, and, and all the rest of this stuff. And she is eating it up. She, huh. She's really listening with fascination, and that's the kind of doors that were opened right. by that kind of dialogue. And that's so, great. you know, I think there's plenty of room for debates. I've done debates since. Yeah. The dialogues in South Africa. I just did a debate on the crucifixion in Birmingham, England, just a few weeks ago. There's places for the debates, but yeah. even the debates have become better because every person I've debated has seen those dialogues. Hmm. And they're, they're like, wow, you know, we can do this respectfully. We can do this without trying to, you know, just earn brownie points with our side and stuff like that. It has really opened up a lot of doors. And yet it's also slammed yeah. an amazing number of doors, too. It really has. My only experience of ever debating a guy was a few years ago. The, I was challenged by the president of the local Bertrand Russell Society to debate. I remember asking James for advice, and he said to me that he didn't think I was up to it. So that was his comment. But, uh, but we, we went out for dinner about a week beforehand and got to know each other. And from my limited experience was that, if you want one of it, a little bit of hospitality mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. did make the evening far more constructive and we're still occasionally in touch with each other i occasionally get an email from him or send him an email that you know we're not close friends by any stretch of the imagination but it was a pleasant and positive and constructive evening and i think i was able to say all that i needed to say so you're saying that a little bit of decency kindness and hospitality might be helpful in hmm. building a bridge towards people my who don't Christ. Okay. I, I'm always struck. Right? Uh, 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 look, but, and it's not just that. If we're going to actually, in the debate, say, I love you in Jesus yeah, Christ, you might yeah. want to act that way outside <laughs> of the debate. You know, I, I mean, actually sort of adorn the gospel in yeah. some way. But how are you, uh, you going to protect America at the same time, James? <laughs> well, answer no, that. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> George uh, Lynn. Look, I, look, I understand the politics. Believe yeah, me, I have sure. discovered there is a huge amount of politics in a certain realm of what calls itself evangelicalism. I read a book by yeah. some guy about the need for creeds and how evangelicalism <laughs> doesn't mean anything uh, a number of years ago. But <laughs> some guy. Some guy. But the term's there, and unfortunately, I have seen a very seamy, dark underside yeah. of that that is deeply polluted and primarily directed by political considerations. Right. You know what? Politics with a Christian topping on it 
is just, it really stinks. It uh, really does. It's ugly. It's bad stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you is, what got you into doing these kind of debates in the first place? And then what's keeping you in? Because, I mean, you know, you're losing friends. Yeah, and money, come on. It's obviously it's, the big it's box tiresome, that I'm sure. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, yeah. I tell you, it's opening all these doors <laughs> around the world. Um, what keeps me in? Well, look, you know, I'll get to the what got me in. But, but what keeps me in is when you have an invitation to debate in a mosque, uh, to debate in places that almost nobody else is being invited to go into, mm-hmm. there's no limitation being put on what you said. And anyone who watches my debates, I've done 161 moderated public debates. So I've got a little experience. I I focused on quality rather than quantity, James. (laughs) (laughs) Just did the one. (laughs) Yeah, thanks a lot there, Carl. but, but anyone who's watched them knows that unless it's an extremely obtuse topic, I get the gospel in there. Right. I make mm-hmm. application and my opponents know I'm going to do that mm-hmm. and they don't have a problem with my doing that. If I believe the gospel is the power of God and salvation, then that's exactly what I want mm-hmm. to do. That's the whole point. And so if I have that opportunity, how can I say no? How can mm-hmm. I in any way, you know, back off from doing that? Now, by the way, we didn't mention this, but probably because you're not aware of this, I am right now a full-time PhD student yep. at Northwest University in Potsdam, South Africa. I'm, I'm working with Dr. Yuri Yodan, who did his PhD in textual criticism under Metzger at Princeton, and I am working on the textual background of Papyrus 45. And I ain't getting nearly as much done as I'm supposed to be getting done because it is September of 2017. <laughs> and so I've got all this stuff between now and October. For some reason, after October, I'll actually be able to get back to that and that particular subject. So I might be backing off a little bit on the amount of traveling, the number of debates and stuff like that. But when you have opportunities like this, how can you say no? Mm-hmm. How, how can you, you know, despite what it's going to cost you? What got me into it? I, I never went to a school that had a debating team or anything like that. We did do the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald my senior year in high school. That should have given me an idea. <laughs> I was the prosecuting attorney, so I guess that's where it came Why doesn't that surprise me? Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but honestly, I grew up doing radio. And so mm. this type of thing, as you may have noticed, you all haven't had to say much so far. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you have to drag stuff out of me. And, uh, I know how to do timing and stuff like that. So debate's sort of natural for me, mm-hmm. but it actually came about because, okay, if you all are sitting, I'm, you all are sitting down, right? Yeah, we are. Okay, good. You all realize the first man that I debated formally was the first ordained PCA minister to ever become a Roman Catholic, right? Oh, my goodness. Didn't know that. No. Wow. Okay, who didn't is know it? That. Who is it? Jerry Matatix. Oh, I know oh, Jerry. Oh, he was a PCA. Okay. Yeah, I know oh, yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Jerry turns uh-huh. up at Westminster on occasion. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He's a SETI vacantist. He doesn't think he there's been a, uh-huh. a pope since, was it 1958? That was the last yeah. time there was a legitimate pope. Hmm. Yep, yep. Jerry and I have debated 13 times. Wow. And he was going around just wiping the floor with Calvary Chapel guys. Uh. Uh, and I started listening to some of his stuff. And I wrote two little books on Roman Catholicism. There, My first two books came out in 1990. Send them to Catholic Answers, where he worked at that time, because he was still Orthodox at that time. And man, almost immediately, he was on the phone challenging me to debate. So we debated in hmm. a large Catholic church in, in uh, Long Beach in August of 1990. That was debate <sighs> number one. And... Huh. Uh, so he's so the only challenge person who, that got you uh, started. It, it, that, that's what got me started. He's the only person who can out talk me. 
because I think <laughs> Jerry I think can he has, talk. <laughs> I think I, I, I think he has gills. I don't think he actually has to breathe, uh, <laughs> so he is able to just take oxygen in. Uh, but yeah, it's been fascinating to watch his development, and of course, he converted with Scott Hahn. Mm. And, okay. um, he was at Westminster at the time. He yeah. was a doctoral student right. at Westminster. Yes, yes, he was. He never finished that. No. But and now he is so far off into La La Land. I don't even. I don't know if anyone can get a radar fix on him mm. anymore. But Han, of course, is one of the biggest names in in yep. American Roman Catholicism. Yep. And he converted along with Jerry. And so yeah, there was a whole huge background to all of that that stuff. But that's where it all started was Jerry Matitix, and then people up in Salt Lake started arranging debates with the more. And we did manage one debate with the Jehovah's Witness, Greg Stafford, before he left and started his own cult. And uh, so as it it just started developing. But the last thing that I ever wanted to do is get involved with Islam. And it was not until 2005, two students at Biola contacted me and said, look, you've got to look at debating this guy named Shabir Ali. And so I started listening to his debates. And the two things he would use to win these debates was he would use our liberals – and most of most apologists really don't know much about liberalism, but I went to Fuller. So it's like, that. There you, go. Uh, you know, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And, yeah. and then historical stuff against the Trinity, early church fathers and textual critical stuff. Well, I've been dealing with all that stuff my, my entire ministry and dealing with other areas. And so that's where it started with Islam is with uh, Shabir Ali. And that has led to debates in mosques in South Africa. And uh, one week to the day after the attack on the Benghazi consulate, I was debating uh, Zakir Hussein, who's the same young man I debated a couple weeks ago in Birmingham, but we were in the East London Mosque. And if you know the East London Mosque, I remember the first time I went there, I got on the tube with a pastor friend of mine in Wandsworth, and I got off in East London, and it was, it was like, Carl will understand this, but you walk out of the tube station, and it's like you're in another planet. It's like Baghdad. Mm-hmm. It's it, yeah. it is it's it's Londonistan. All yeah. the all the even the fried chicken places are in Arabic. I mean, mm. it's just it's just amazing how it's changed. And the East London Mosque is the largest mosque in England. And so so one week to the day, there were riots going on and uh, all over the world. We were debating whether Muhammad was prophesied in the Bible in the East London Mosque one week later, which mm. demonstrated that you can do this if you do it right. Mm-hmm. If these people feel that you are just there to insult them, well, that's not going to be a good thing. But if you take them seriously, and not in any sense of compromise, no one's ever said to me, you can't say X, Y, or Z, but if you accurately, just just accurately represent them, use their own sources properly, demonstrate you've read the Quran and actually learned enough Arabic to muddle your way through and Mm -hmm. things like that, and you can narrate the Hadith and things like that, man, you you have a wide open door. Yeah. And here we have an entire people group. We bend over backwards to try to get secularists to talk with us about anything spiritual. And here's an entire people group that want to talk to us about Jesus. And we won't do it because we're scared to death. The last driver I had going to Heathrow a couple weeks ago was not a Muslim. Every single Mm. other one was. And thankfully, we were in London traffic because, man, did I get a lot accomplished <laughs> on those, on those drives. I was going by the palace talking to a guy from Pakistan about the resurrection. And they'll talk to you, especially when they find out you actually care about them. And, mm-hmm. when, you, and when you can say that and then back it up by saying, and this is how I've demonstrated. This is how yeah. I've, I've done this in my life. Man, talk about open doors. Talk yeah. about open doors. James, I wonder who 
who's a, a harder people group to reach? Muslims or King James onlyists? <laughs> <laughs> King James onlyists, no question about it. Uh, there's no question about it. Yeah, of course, yeah. what you're trying to reach them with might be a little bit different. Right, but right. Uh, no, seriously, as far yeah. as openness to dialogue and stuff yeah. like that, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, most most definitely, I find my. King James only friends to be much right. more difficult to talk to. Now, James, it may go down that one of the greatest gifts you've ever given to the church was allowing Stephen Anderson to come visit you <laughs> and getting that on video. I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for giving that to us. That provided a great deal of pleasure just watching that. Pleasure. And, pleasure. That's not a term I've ever heard used to that. Uh, <laughs> and, and for those of you that don't know who Stephen Anderson is, just go to YouTube, check it out. James White actually... I think deserves a medal for patience because this guy harasses James and does all kinds of things about Calvinists and and that kind of thing. And James actually let the guy come and sit with him. And and James was very patient and it was just quite fun to watch. So, well, of course, only 90 seconds of that ended up in the movie that he uh, ostensibly (laughs) was doing it for. So, and I'm not sure how many times the movie has been viewed, but I think that has been viewed an equal number of times in the movie. Well, look, I'll be honest. I did not realize how much of a heretic he was until we got into the uh, interview. I didn't realize all his anti-lordship stuff. And then when he starts talking about Jesus going to hell at the end, I'm like, okay, all right. You know, after two hours and 20 minutes, I think we've, I think we've, we've (laughs) uh, but sadly his tribe is growing. (sighs) He's, Mm. he's planting churches all over the place. Oh yeah. Yeah, he is. And even his church here used to be a couple dozen people. It's 300 now. So you are uh, kidding me. No, no, I'm not. It's bigger I'm than not. my church. Oh my gosh! It's almost as big as so, that denomination. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's so that's really interesting. You know, here's a you know Hiles Anderson kind of ultra, gosh, whatever you want to call that tribe of particular independent Baptists or uh, King James onlyists, et cetera. And and uh, wow, okay, well that's kind of sad. Well, he even denies the Holocaust. I mean, uh, <sighs> he's got everything. You throw it out there, and and he's got it. But he's so charismatic quote unquote in some people's minds that yeah his tribe's growing it's interesting he tried to go to south africa and they wouldn't let him in uh so i'm I'm sort of like (laughs) uh, fine Uh, when you get banned from foreign countries (laughs) yeah you're hitting the buffets at that point it's going to happen to all of us eventually, I'm afraid, sure, but, sure. Uh, which I will miss because I love – there are some great people down in South Africa. I, mm-hmm. My heart's really been knit to the church down in South mm-hmm. Africa. Uh, there's some great, great people down there. I get mm-hmm. to go down there all the time. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we could go on and on uh, with James, just the breadth of James White's interests and his writings. I mean, you can – he's you know going back to a wonderful book he wrote uh, called The Forgotten Trinity to his book on justification. Mm. There's just a whole wide variety of things. He's not just an apologist with you know the world religions. James is a Reformed Baptist scholar, and uh, one of the things that us Presbyterians love about our Reformed Baptist brethren is that uh, they've been doing some of the best work out there in regard to the doctrine of God. And we found that out on this program uh, last year during the Trinity controversy on the eternal subordination of the Son. It was the Reformed Baptists that were some of our best friends through that issue. But but James has written on a number of different really wonderful doctrinal subjects and has written some very helpful things in regard to that. And we would like to give away one of his books to uh, some of our listeners who will come to our website. The book that we are going to be giving away to several of our visitors 
is What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran by James Mm -hmm. White. And if you will come to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can register to win one of those copies. And while you're there, consider making a donation financial to continue to support the work of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals in this particular podcast. But James White, thanks so much for spending some time with us. It was great to be with you. Great to hear some encouraging words. And we're excited about what you're doing. And uh, all the best to you. Thanks for taking time with us. Well, I've uh, really enjoyed it. And we are going to be recording the uh, sermon in Wittenberg. I'm also preaching in the uh, cathedral at Eisleben. And Carl, I'll make sure to send you videos. I I much appreciate it, James. You're a a true son of encouragement. (laughs) Carl isn't doing either of those things, so that's that's interesting. I'll I'll be preaching a cornerstone converted building out. If you could send pictures and video, James, um, we would appreciate that. Because I want to start a feature on our website called Where Other People Have Been and Carl Has Not. That is a great feature. That is a good idea. Carl, look, I want to make this easier for you. You though, so I will, I will try as best I can to quote you at oh. some point. <laughs> thank you, thank you, and 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 maybe even give credit to you. Oh, okay. well, that's <laughs> even better. That would be. That. We'd love that. Uh, I, am, I, am, I am quoting Luther three times in the sermon in German. So, wonderful. Nice. Um, wonderful. So we'll, we'll see how that's going to work that's out. That's great. Well, that's wonderful. And again, I, we'd encourage folks to go to um, Alpha and Omega Ministries, find them online, make use of the various materials that is available from that ministry and from James White. And please join us again next time for Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Carl and Amy, it's, it's really tough to leave the limelight, isn't it? I mean, here, here we have two men who very publicly, took very public falls. It seems to me that Paul is very clear in the pastoral epistles what the qualifications for church leadership are. That um, we need to hear these things from them. Like they are needed in the yeah, ministry the still. Right, right. Yeah. And God can, God can use the donkey, so... Right. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. After this podcast, of course, we will be requiring a compulsory urine and blood test to make sure that your performance was not enhanced uh, uh, synthetically. Um. I have signed nothing that says that I'm not using any performance. <laughs> we have caught one or two guests using EPO in the past. But, uh, okay, 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 all right.